Merry Christmas and Seasons Readings and welcome to the Ace Comicals Christmas Special 2020. The year that nobody asked for or wanted. <laughs> uh, joining us today we have Marv. Hello, pleasure to be back again. Yes, so uh, Marv joined us last episode for Nightfall and we're getting him back on for Christmas. Uh, we also have uh, the usual suspects, Rahul. Merry Christmas everybody. And Leon. Merry, Merry Christmas. Yes, so it's Christmas. It's that special time where we come together to celebrate the stories of triumph of uh, John McClane over Hans Gruber in Nakatomi Plaza and Kevin McAllister's artful defense of his home and, of course, the annual buying of the Turbo Man. Yes, so uh, what we've got today is a selection of Christmas specials from across the decades. Um, we've each picked one book and then what we've done is we've come together to try and figure out which one's the best one basically so we've we've each brought one knife to the fight and one person's going to leave alive is the idea but i'm not sure how that's going to work but we'll see so um kicking us off today we have um the first pick on the list which was mine which is Michelangelo, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, number one. And it's number one in a one-issue micro-series. That did crack me off when I saw <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I always love the fact that they did that. And uh, so what this is, this is uh, Michelangelo foiling the robbery of some very special Christmas toys in New York at Christmas time while he's out on a wintry walk enjoying the... Uh, the Christmasness of New York, going sledding and all these other things that you're not allowed to do with friends anymore. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I love this because it's a TMNT book and it's just, it's a nice little, um, it, it's, it encapsulates for me, like Christmas in a really good way because it's, and, and through the eyes of like Michelangelo, like what better way to fit the spirit of Christmas and a boatload of Christmas cheer into a TMNT book than to make it Mikey centric because Mikey is the dreamer, the optimist, the idealist, and like the, the heart at the, the center of the family of the center of the, the Hamato clan. Um, and yeah, it's just, it just has all that compassion, fun and Christmas spirit. Um, and this like solo adventure through this like winter wonderland in New York. And it's just so gorgeously rendered with like all this like beautiful black and white line work. And it's like the classic Eastman Laird black and whites. And and like, I mean, there, there is a color version of it that exists, but I couldn't get tracked down the color version. So I didn't manage to read the color version, but Leon did. So Leon will have to talk to us about colors. <laughs> but um, like, it just so striking all the way through like this beautiful line work and how the pages are just so crammed with detail like this is something that i i tend to love in books like this like where um you get like uh so you know how i enjoy the james stokoe art um i've spoken to you guys on the cast about james stokoe plenty of times and um like i just enjoy how he manages to cram so much detail and so much like so many different particles and things like that into one page and to just make it like, I don't know. It's just, there's so much going on. It's so busy and there's always something new every time you look at it. It's, it's just so beautiful how that is. And there's some really cool, like single pages of just like the streets of New York with like 
Salvation Army Santa and people just crowding, like shopping out there on, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just a beautiful scene with the snow and everything else. And they managed to just like capture that so well in their classic kind of cartoon style that uh, Eastman and Laird use. And it's just, it's, it's just a beautiful little book. Um, so yeah, it's just so full of activity and life. And even when it's in black and white, like a, the, you just like the lack of negative space in all of it. I know negative space can be really effective in things like comics and, and in art, in highlighting important um, like uh, elements of the image, like with a bit of negative space around it, it kind of brings that thing to the forefront and whatever else. But like in this, the lack of negative space, I feel if for me is what makes it like the lack of negative space in the panels. Um, and that's, yeah, that's just, I mean, I know, did all of us read this? Um, I, I read it. I, I read it. Yeah. Marv, what do you, what did you make of this? <laughs> um, I, I absolutely loved it. <clears throat> um, like, like you, like you were saying about the, um, the, 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 the penciling, um, in it, it's just insane. There was, um, there's a splash, uh, well, a splash page, not a double splash, but a full page splash of, um, Mikey just turns a corner and just is looking at like New York at Christmas as he sort of enters the high street. And it's just, the page is so full of detail. Like, and it's, it's really artistic as well because um, it's not just a full page of detail. It's also the way that the line work is done. It's almost like um, crosshat shading in fine art. So your eye is just sort of drawn to like the lighter and darker shades of things. It's the shadowing and everything is done really well. And normally a page that's that visually busy kind of puts me off sometimes. Like I like a page that's full of details, but not that's full of lines. Um, I, I recently tried to get back into reading Tank Girl that I fell off of, and um, it was it was a bit too much for me. Whereas this, it was it, was, it struck the perfect balance, I think, in terms of the line work and stuff. Yeah, and then this you is get... what I was. Sorry. No, go on, go on, go on. Yeah, this, this, is the bit, this is this is the exact page I'm talking about with um, Salvation <laughs> Army Santa, and mm. it's just like you get RSI just looking at it, <laughs> like because <laughs> you just imagine like the amount of like work that goes into that, the amount of pencil and everything else, and then the inking on top of that, and like the steady hand that that would take, and how it's all like minute lines just like overlapping and on top of each other. and with like varying degrees of separation and things like that, and it just must have taken like a literal month of Christmas days. It feels like. like it would have taken a lifetime to do this one issue. Yeah. Yeah. A <laughs> lifetime of Christmases. Um, but yeah, it's, it's such a beautiful book and like just all the crazy little imperfections in it as well. Like, cause it's, it's like one, it's an indie book produced in the eighties. Like this was released in December, 1985. Um, and like all these like crazy little imperfections in um, like the border outlines and things like that, how the borders are like, they're not, perfectly straight lines they're kind of like there's like a, a wiggle on them and things like that and it's just and and it's it's clean and it's neat but it's also like it has like that kind of grungy edge which mm. is always always kind of cool um anyway marv i've, I've interrupted your train what were you gonna say <laughs> oh no no i was just gonna say like um like beyond the wonderful artwork um it was just really heartwarming as well it's like you know when um uh, when Mikey sees the the kids um, and just sort of goes goes sledding with them, and just it's the the childlike innocence that Michelangelo has. Like if it was any of the other turtles, it, they might have done the same thing, but it wouldn't have been as sort of heartfelt from them. Like there would have been a different uh, energy to it. 
Um, and even like he just picks the cat up with like without a second thought. It's just it's really it's a perfect turtle for a Christmas story because he just exudes goodness. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this. I, there were like loads of um, strange little details that I kept thinking of. Like one of the best things, well, best one of the things that jumped out to me most was like after going through all the trouble of like stealing the toys back and making sure that you know Christmas is secured for everyone. You get like a little aside of the cops being like, "Oh yeah, those are those toys that were going to those orphans. I might steal one of those for my own kids. Oh yeah, I couldn't find one in anywhere, so I'll steal one too." And I'm like. Uh, okay, <laughs> cops stealing toys from orphans. Fair enough. Well, it, it's like the only one in this whole book that is like true of heart is Michelangelo himself, and that that kind of rings true. And it's like it's it's the whole thing where he's like he's diving in with both feet before he actually thinks ahead. Hmm. So he's um he he decides he's going to try and like foil this toy robbery, and uh, he beats these dudes up, and he's driving this van, and he's like. Well, now I'm driving a van full of stolen toys and I'm like not exactly inconspicuous. So what am I going to do about this van of stolen toys? Um, and obviously he goes back and he gets his brother's <coughs> involved. But like, can you imagine this story with Raf? Like he wouldn't have picked Clunk up. He'd have just kicked Clunk. <coughs> like, well, maybe not. No, Raf, Raf, Raf likes to think he's all tough. Raf's like an armadillo. He's hard on the outside and squishy on the inside. Because he, he, he's like... Um, he likes to think he's all mean and tough, but really he's a sweetheart. So no, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have kicked Clunk. He would probably would have picked the cat up too, um, but he wouldn't have been like Mikey is about it because like Mikey's just so sweet with that cat, like yeah. Clunk and, and Mikey man. That's like I I I can actually fully see because the way I am, I I like to think of myself like Michelangelo is like my spirit animal or something. So I can actually like fully see myself behaving exactly the same way. I did see that because um, <laughs> when 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 Mikey gets into the toy store and he's like playing with all the different costumes and toys and everything, I was like, "This page is Greg." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Zounds, it's Captain Demento and his killer robot cat Clunk. <laughs> Clunk's awesome though. Yeah, um, Clunk is made of ice cream in um, the uh, the um, thingy uh, the TMNT twenty twelve. Um, they ha Mikey has a pet cat in that that's made of ice cream and has to be kept in the freezer. I see. You see, before you explain the rest of that, I thought you were just having a stroke. No, 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 no. The cat, Clunk, the cat is, is ice cream. Uh, Clunk is made of ice cream, and I'm like, yeah, I must have missed that page. It's a mutant. <laughs> it's a mutant cat made of ice cream in the cool. 2012 turtles. Yeah. Um, Leon, you read this too, and you read it in color. So tell me about the colors, Leon. I did. The version I read was the 2012 reprint. The uh, Colour Classics, they're referred to. Um, yeah. And it's released with the Nickelodeon imprint, because uh, as you just said, um, it it must have been in conjunction with the animated series they had around the time. And the colours in the Colour Classics version are done by Tom Smith's Scorpion Studios. And usually I worry about stuff like this, where um, you add... Adding colour to black and white, I, I, I never know really how I feel about that. Like, if it's a cool critter's intent thing where it's like, oh, we did this for a specific reason, now we've added colour, that's fine. But um, I know most of the time it's used to draw people in who'd be put off by black and white. Mm. Um, but I would say um, it's done really well. Like, you 
I'm about to say something really stupid then, but I'll continue saying it. Like, obviously, most comics are uh, inked, <laughs> uh, bef uh, like, penciled uh, and inked before they're coloured. But um, you wouldn't really be able to tell that this was ever released um, without colour. Because, like, the, the shading, the gradients, the tones they use all feel very natural. It doesn't make it feel like a more modern comic than the comic itself, if you know what I mean. It very much feels like a comic that came out when this originally did, uh, where the colours are not overly vibrant. Uh, I wouldn't say muted, but they're more they're more natural. The, the tones picked uh, all seem to fit the world and uh, fit the atmosphere. And comparing it to some like uh, images on Google I saw of the... Uh, standard black and white I think it's like an uh, an either or type thing where I wouldn't say one's better than the other but I would say the benefit of the color is it brings out so much in, in the book even just in uh, Mikey himself and like the the greens and blues it's got a really nice look to it and uh, it brings like Christmas time New York alive especially the uh, sort of splash page when he's going checking out the shops and there's like loads of people around there's a a santa there uh, a bus going by and trees and snow all over the page and the colors they pick look so nice and so cool it does does really fit the look of it uh so that, that was like qu quite uh, like a pleasant surprise and yeah i'd echo a lot of what you guys said where like it's very wholesome and it's not overly moralizing in the same way that some of the other comics that uh, we've read uh, today have been because of like their target audience. It doesn't really have like a too much of a heavy-handed message, really. It is just core: be good to others and like be a good person, uh, and and that's it, really. Whereas. Um, some of some of the others that we'll get into, they do feel sort of like don't do this, kids, or da 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 da, don't be a mean person. But I do like this one because, as you guys said, Michelangelo's childlike innocence is so so pure, and it it, it is nice just to uh, like watch him just go around and just be a, be a big kid. And uh, it does it does crack me up with this book though because it it is really of its time in terms of uh, just the the nature of the onomatopoeia and like uh, exclamation words people would say and if people are called like gronk, conk, blonk and all that it it, it, it does, I have a little bit of nostalgia for it because it, it brings me back to a time where these are some of the earliest like types of comic books I was reading mm -hmm. in a world where it was like so fresh and amazing, exciting and uh, yeah there's such like a a, a period feel to it in in terms of like how this is how comics were and it is fun like returning to it with like this uh, fresh coat of paint over it mm. but like for the time this this was this was underground mm. so like at the time this this wasn't necessarily how comics i mean it was how comics were but it was like the kind of like the the um, the alternative well, to yeah. how comics well, that's work. The thing. When, when I say yeah. what I say, I'm not talking like DC Marvel. I'm talking more like Dark Horse. Yeah. 
uh, it, it gives me uh, like that type of vibe when I used to find come across like a random issue of this like really cool looking book and it's just like what the hell is this this isn't like superheroes and stuff like that this is dark this is like gritty but they never were I guess some were but they never were like this is just some like like dull uh, extreme thing like we got later on in the 90s but instead it was, it was quite like a these are the cool comics that uh, that you you want to take a look at the shelves when you're in the comic store and wonder what yeah. the hell this whole world is about. I mean, it's incredible. Like even when you look at the um, some of the panels on other pages, like there's a panel with a car, just like a police car, just like crunching into another car. Um, like the amount of detail in the individual panels, the amount of lines in the individual panels. Like I mean, like this is like aside from like that big massive splash page where Mikey turns the corner and he's got like the street in New York and whatever, just like some of these individual panels are incredible. And like this other splash page of this, this truck just like barreling through this, this roadblock or whatever. And it's, it's an incredible piece of work and it's like a real, real Christmas book. Like if, if anything was going to be like, it, it just, it totally, totally has that Christmas spirit and that, that ending on it, like, the way it ends as well it's just it for me it's like the full christmas experience it's funny because um it set me up <laughs> yeah it set like, me up when i was reading it. it it hits all those points but it it, it, it does give you a real snapshot into that time like it, it there's elements of it that are very of that time like the sort of uh one note uh villains who seem kind of latino uh in in a not good way <laughs> but and yeah. like the way how yeah. It's the New York of like the eighties, like the 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 later Scorsese New York, or like for better or worse, the Joker New York. It's it's like it's that New York where it's like gritty, like you're gonna get robbed on any street, and it's like watch out. And the thing that this Christmas book does, it blankets it all in snow, uh, to sort of level the field and to be like, uh, there, there's like there's 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 there can be beauty in this and. Like at the start, you have all those kids playing, and it's um, it, it has this like hopeful notion to it. Uh, that uh, but but it's not saccharine, as Marv said, with like those those cops. <laughs> it's like I'll take a <laughs> yeah, couple yeah. myself. Like it is, and the and like the fact that they can't engage with the cops, um, because. Uh, like from their point of view, they'll it's going to get tied up in red tape and it won't get to the kids. Uh, and then from our point of view, because uh, the cops cops uh, can't be can't really be that trusted. And I like that it, it does kind of have this more subversive edge of uh, we'll do it, we we'll get the team together and we'll deliver the presents. And yeah, it is quite cool. I, it is cool. It's a cool little Christmas story. So. Um, what we're going to do then is each of these ones on the list, we'll rate them after we've talked about them on a scale of one to five. And by the end of this, the highest scoring one will have won. So on a scale of one to five Christmas stars, what would you give Michelangelo Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle number one? Um, so for the people that have read it. So me, I would go in at... I will, I will award it. 
I will award it four stars. How many stars are you giving it, Marv? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about it while you were deliberating, and four sounds about right. Yeah, and Leon? That's low for you, Greg. I thought you were going to hit with a five. I honestly thought what? you were going to do five as well. <laughs> Maybe if I'd have read the colour version. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No. I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I, I wanted to give it five, but I can't... Just because it's my baby and it's TMNT, like... I, <laughs> I can't just give it five to because of that. Like, on I, scale I, I need a, to be oh, just be true to yourself. I was about to say, right, just five, give it a five. Five stars. <laughs> five stars. Yeah. Well, on on, I on know, the scale I, of a oh, fun Christmas yeah. comic, I would uh, give it a four also. Yeah. So hmm. four, four, and five. So eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen stars. Uh, Ray, um, as someone who hasn't read this, but I like how. So we'll do it on you, a scale of how convinced you are to pick it up and read it out of five. I think you all made, like, really excellent and different cases. Um, I think Leon expressed, like, in the plot why it, why it feels so, uh, I don't know, uplifting. And hearing you and Marv gush about it. Like, I'm pretty convinced to pick this up. Um, it might have to wait until next Christmas, though. <laughs> so out of five, how many... How many five, stars are convinced uh, are you? Yeah. I'll I'll steal your four from you. Give it four out of five convi- convi- conviction points. Yeah. Okay, so that would mean it's earned 17 stars. So, um, onwards. So we're moving through these chronologically as well. So the next book we've got is from 1991. So I'll give the credits for Turtles first, actually. So um, that was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number... Uh, well, Michelangelo, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle number one in a micro-series of one issues. Uh, and that is written by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird, penciled by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Inks are by Brian Thomas, and it is lettered by Steve Levine. Uh, we move on to um, Incredible Hulk... 378 from February 1991, which is a really odd time to be publishing a Christmas story. <laughs> <laughs> and this one was your pick, wasn't it, Marv? Yeah. So, uh, go on, Marv. Give us the uh, the down low. Well, um, the funny thing is, when we were talking about what to choose um, and, you know, Christmas-themed comics and things like that, I was, I, I was desperate, desperate to get... Um, a Marvel 616 Santa story because I've known for years obviously that Santa Claus is real in the Marvel universe and is a character he's a mutant he's got like all these crazy powers he's had all these different interactions with different characters and stuff Um, and so I was searching for a good story to read for the podcast for this but when I came across the story in Incredible Hulk number 378 I couldn't pass it up I was like I'll do this I'll do this what you really wanted was that X-Men one, wasn't it? From the Marvel 1991 holiday special, Actual Healing or whatever. Like. <laughs> that panel was hilarious. <laughs> that's the one you were really quick. I think, I think that's the one as well where it's revealed that he's like the world's most uh, powerful mutant. Yeah. Well, I say, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, so like there's this whole thing with Santa. You mentioned Santa. Santa's real in the Marvel universe, as Marv rightly pointed out. So like, there's this whole thing where it's like he is created by collective worldwide belief in one of three origin legends. <coughs> um, like, so he's kind of like a tulpa in a weird way. But right, then like, but, but also it's like move over Joker. Santa did it first. Yeah. So that's the easiest way to explain it. <laughs> there's three santas yeah <laughs> the other way you can explain it is santa in the marvel universe is like the most powerful mutant to ever exist because he's got all these powers and things and 
and like move over Apocalypse and Phoenix because Santa is like as strong as, if not stronger than you two kind of thing. He's like supposedly top dog in the mutant world. Um, but like he's, I, I think, I don't know if we can count Phoenix on that anywhere because although Phoenix is a powerful, is the most powerful, one of the most powerful mutants, I, I don't know if Phoenix is truly a powerful mutant because Phoenix is just Jean Grey augmented by a cosmic force. So can we count that or not? I don't know. Um, get in touch with us and argue with me about it. But yeah. Um, so yeah, Marv. So take us through what happens in this issue. <laughs> so yeah, the issue opens with um, Rick Jones visiting a children's hospital uh, around Christmas time. Um, there is um, a big kid who's chasing around a kid who keeps making ugly faces at him. Um, and Rick is trying to break it up. The nurse is sort of like, it's Christmas, it's a hospital, there's two reasons why you shouldn't be fighting. Um, and to calm everything down, Rick decides to tell a, uh, a superhero Christmas parable. Three pages later, the one that just had his appendix out, the stitches split open because he's running around the ward. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's why you don't run around in a hospital, <laughs> especially <Yeah>. at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so uh. so rick tells the story of um hulk back in his gray hulk days when he would still transform at sunset um and it's a tale basically of rhino being a, a lonely supervillain at christmas um he's as rick tells it he's out in an alleyway he just kind of basically wants some human contact um, he talks to some homeless guys in an alley and tries to sort of just warm himself with them by the fire. He says that he doesn't even need warmth. He just wants human contact and they run away because he's a supervillain. Um, so he's just really sort of down in the dumps about it and everything. Um, and he decides once they've done that and he's sort of at his lowest, he's like, I'll rob a bank. That always lifts my spirits. Um, and th and then this year, this year, I really that really resonated with me because don't we all just want human contact this year? <laughs> well, I thought you were going to say, don't we all just want to rub a bank? Maybe both can be true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when, yeah. wouldn't you know it? The 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 homeless guys that you scared off, they bump into Grey Hulk, um, and Rhino. Long story short, Rhino realizes Hulk's in town. It would be a bad idea to rob a bank at this stage. So um, at the next day, he comes across um, a Salvation Army Santa, a running theme in these issues. Um, and decides to knock him out, take his suit, um, and start collecting money as Santa Claus. And it's perfect because the whole reason that Rhino is ostracized is because he's stuck in this suit. Um, like a lot of uh, Spider-Man villains, <laughs> he's, I thought of Scorpion as soon as he was like, oh, I can't take this thing off. and da -da 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 -da. Uh, But it covers his suit perfectly. The beard covers the sort of chin strap <laughs> and the hat goes over the horn. So there's nothing of the Rhino left. He's just Santa Claus. Apart from his ugly mug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot hide that face. <laughs> he starts He starts making some money, um, and he, he's sort of extorting people to give more than they want to give. Um, and then it, um, a mall centre um, falls over drunk and needs to be replaced. So he's sort of dragged along by this um, mall manager. And um, as he gets in there, the children and everyone start to cheer for centre. It brings a tear to his eye. It's the first time in years that someone's been pleased to see him. So he sort of starts to, uh, to, to, to do the thing. He has people on his knee. He's a bit grumpy about it, but he's doing the right thing. He's filling the center role. He's bringing some, uh, some cheer to these kids. One of the kids is on his lap and starts sort of uh, giving him some lip. He picks him up and the kid feels the horn under the hat. And he's like, you're the rhino. 
He threatens him and says, don't tell anyone. Um, but the kid starts mouthing off to his mum as he leaves the, the, the department store. Oh, I'm telling you, there was the rhino back there and uh, Rick Jones, Bruce Banner and uh, this agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. that they're travelling with, they overhear. Um, and so that's how uh, things sort of uh, start converging. Um, at that moment, the sun starts setting, Bruce Banner starts getting uh, his signature tummy ache and goes into the toilets to transform into Grey Hulk. Um, and yeah, comes out expecting the rhino to be causing trouble. And um, at that moment, some of the kids are, are trying to... Uh, they've ripped the beard off of um, Rhino and sort of outed him. He's causing a scene. They proceed to fight, as you know they all want to do. And... Um, yeah, the fight carries on for a little while. They're interrupted by a, a wonderful woman with a tray of cookies who's like, oh, you know, stop this fight and have a Christmas cookie. Um, and they're like, is that macadamia nuts in this cookie? And Rhino's like, I hate macadamia nuts. Punches <laughs> the cookies out of her hand. They carry on fighting. Um, this goes on and on for a couple of pages uh, until you reach my favorite page in the comic, <laughs> which is where um, Rhino's beard and hat have been removed during the course of the fight. Um, and while he's um, being accosted by Rick Jones and the agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., Greyhawk taps him on the shoulder. When he turns around, he's got the beard and the hat on. <laughs> he just <laughs> says, ho, 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 and then punches him in the face. <laughs> and it becomes Rhino in a Santa suit versus the Hulk in a hat and beard. Um, but just as they're getting back into the fight, a woman realizes that she's lost her little girl, um, little Ginny. And um, she basically comes up to both of them and is like, Santa, why are you, why are you hurting this man? Are you... Are you what's going on like mum told me that santa was real but i don't think i believe her after seeing all this and they both just melt they're both like no no your mum was rhino says your mum was telling the truth this guy was just and the hulk's like I, I was naughty i was on the naughty list santa <laughs> was punishing me for being naughty and it's like you can trust me and then they both just do this really cheesy grin and then as rick tells it for the rest of the day rhino was santa and uh, the hulk was his little helper with a santa hat on um Hulk gets a bit gropey with the uh, the mums in the line, um, and then it finishes with uh, Rick hoping that hoping that the story has made an impact with the kids, and uh, the kid who was the uh, analogy for the rhino in the story kicks him in the shin and runs away. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone! <laughs> but like, yeah, well, Rick Jones is is wearing a public enemy vest. Just have to get that out there right now. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> in a stroke of nineties genius. Um, <laughs> But like, yeah, it's um. So I, I I really enjoyed this. I thought it was great, and it had that that kind of like um, that jingle all the way air of slapstick about it, which is I don't know, like people just like climbing it, fighting each other in the mall, like except there's no Turbo Man involved in this one. Yeah, and the the macadamia cookies was hilarious. <laughs> it really killed me. It really killed me. Yeah, because it's the kind of thing like if you're like fighting sibling, and then you stop, and then. <laughs> And you're just like, I'm just going to refuel and have some orange juice or something. And then you just get back into it. Yeah. Like, and it, it's, yeah, it's, uh, if you, if you have a brother, you'll understand how that works, but yeah. <laughs> it's just so like, I remember one year I broke my leg and um, I had my leg in like a, a cage and a half cast. So like a cast on the back yeah. of my leg and the bottom of my foot. And uh, we would still wrestle. And at one point um, I was kicking him with the cast so hard that he had like scratch marks in the marks of the cast in his arm. Literally, being a kid with a brother that you fight is just the most insane thing in the world. <laughs> like, you look back on it and it's the stupidest shit. <laughs> it is, yeah. 
It really is. <laughs> it's just it sits. And like you just wonder how you didn't kill each other sometimes, don't you? Literally. Like, some of the stuff. Yeah. We we fell off bunk I fell off a bunk bed onto a toy bus and had a hole in my back for a couple of months. We were dumb. We were dumb. <laughs> yeah, I remember my brother um like had me in a chokehold or something once and I would I refused to tap out and he wouldn't let the hold go. And he started crying because it was hurting me and I didn't want any thought he was going to kill me, but he wouldn't let the hold go and I wouldn't tap out. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's just, don't make me do this. Don't make me, I'm going to win, but don't make me do it this way. Yeah. And it's just like, he's crying. He's like, tap out for the love of God, tap out. And I'm like, no, never. It's, uh, it's Superman and Zod in Man of Steel. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it was brilliant. But yeah, no, I, I really, really enjoyed this. And I, I the, the artwork was definitely stand out for me. And the colours were just like so oh, vivid so and bright. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's those I mean like I don't know if that's a symptom because I we've got I bought it digital mm. on Comicsology and I'm pretty much pretty sure you did the same. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know because a lot of these comics when they remaster them for Comicsology, they just come out almost fluorescent. Um, but they look really, really good. And I, I, I don't know if it's a symptom of that, whether it would look this bright on the original paper. I would, I would hope it would because it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but like, yeah, it's just so much fun. And the, the slapstick in here is absolutely brilliant. There's some really good dynamic fight scenes and things, and it's just Marvel all over like the humor, everything like the dumb grins on the faces of Hulk and Rhino when they're explaining to the little girl that they're like, you know, that Santa's real and Hulk's on the naughty list. And they basically got the same face, but one's gray. A hundred percent. Like to me, that, that one, not even that page, that one little panel, that yeah. was part of the comic for me. That was the whole yeah. point of the story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like, and then the Hulk getting his biceps felt up by the, the mums in the line. <laughs> one thing that I did, um, that really shocked me with this because obviously reading it you're sort of going along with the jovial nature and the slapstick and everything but peppered throughout they're talking about rhino's mental health in a really prominent way and yeah. um, obviously because it's only like what 22 23 pages you know you can't go into anything massively in depth but i really felt that even though and obviously um it's speaking about manic depression um and obviously loneliness coupled with that and i can't really speak to that myself um you know i i I flirted with depression, but I haven't flirted with manic depression. Um, but the fact that they have sort of tied that in with uh, a Marvel villain and sort of said, you know, he's not just an angry guy in a rhino costume. I mean, like, he has legitimate issues and he does want better for himself. It's something that I wasn't expecting from a really short sort of Hulk versus rhino story. So I was yeah. really pleased to see that. And I thought it played into the story really well as well. Because right at the end, when they're sort of at the end of the fight, just before Ginny comes up, rhino says, like, you know, I tried to do something decent. I tried to be a nice guy, but they won't let me do it. They won't let me be, you know, anything but this. And it's it's really deep for, for a silly Christmas story. Yeah, <laughs> and it has that. Um, it's that whole thing with like um, it kind of raises raises awareness a little bit actually around the the whole issues of like loneliness at Christmas and things like that, and like you know people that would suffer with like mental health issues like manic depression and things like that and what and what being lonely at christmas could do to them kind of thing you know it brings it, it kind of has like that whole kind of like underlying thing running through it where it's it does it does touch on that and it does it does explain that in quite a quite a nice neat little way in so few pages i think 
mm. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, you read you read this as well, Ray, right? I did. Yeah, I picked this yeah. one up. Um, truly excellent pick, Marv. I, I really enjoyed <laughs> this comic because, um, like, I I really wasn't in the mood to read some dumb Christmas comics, but this really lifted my spirits. <laughs> like, I don't know what else I can add to what you guys have already said because I think you've covered a lot of it. Like, to get the serious stuff out of the way, I I really second the point um, that you made about. Uh, like this through line of Rhino struggling with his mental health. I thought that was surprisingly deft for such a, uh, you know, what I was expecting to be quite a slight comic. Mm. Um, but apart from all of that, I've got a list of things that I just touch points that I liked about this comic. So Rhino's sad, dumb face. Hulk's, <laughs> <laughs> Hulk's gurning, dumb face. All of their angry, dumb, sad, gurning faces. Some truly shocking one-liners. Um, the genius contrivance of the Santa outfit perfectly covering the rhino suit and the macadamia nut scene. I just, it, was all, it was all so good. Like, I read this a couple of times because um, I think the first time I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't really feeling it and I was trying to read through all the words and stuff and it was just, I felt like it was dragging on. I was like, you know what? I'm going to start this again and just ignore all of the text on the page and it was such a fun read just watching these guys like bash into each other and the kids screaming and running away it's just oh truly excellent i i, I really like this it, it, I'm, it I'm is happy to hear it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's great like just just even the bit in, in the toilets where that guy needs the loo and he's like trying to get in the cubicle like yeah, just like really non sequitur scenes. Like, I don't know where yeah. that came from. I don't know why it was there, but like, I appreciated it. I think my favorite panel in this is um, like a quarter page of Hulk with his thumb up, like flexing while he's down on one knee, saying, Step aside, kid. I'm the spirit of fractures yet to come. Like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> such a great line. <laughs> that's brilliant. Every, yeah. Every word that the Grey Hulk says in this is pure gold. Like, he is one liner. One liners personified is ridiculous. <laughs> the one liner supreme. Like, the one liner above all. <laughs> I also just like seeing these um, like kind of crappy kids get whomped across the room. <laughs> Satisfying. I, I don't know. I can't explain it. I do love the fact that Rhino just lobbed that child. Like, <laughs> yeah. even though the Hulk caught him, I was like, I didn't think he'd get that far. He, he went clear across the shopping centre. <laughs> and the, the the best thing about Rhino is that he doesn't just look like, he isn't just dressed like a Rhino. He looks like a Rhino. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you look at his face, like, he's like his facial features are Rhino-esque. Hmm. And I love that. I think that's brilliant. Um, and, yeah, like, the... Uh, the whole Greyhawk thing and transforming at sundown and whatever, which is like, I mean, the Hulk was in the original, like in the sixties, whatever the Hulk was only gray for like, was it two issues or something? I don't know. I can't remember. Mm. Um, I've talked about this before on a previous episode when I talked about the immortal Hulk, but like, it was like a coloring error or something that changed him green. So, <laughs> so that was like, it was like an accident that the Hulk became green. Um, but then, yeah, like, they brought the they brought the Grey Hulk back as a as a smarter version of the Hulk that was more of a kind of like grey area between Hulk and Banner, I suppose, for want of a better way to put it. And um, yeah, I, this is the line work in here is fantastic. Like the art is absolutely gorgeous. It's just that classic Marvel style that's just like it's so so polished. Mm. It's so, it's really like, crisp, but the faces are all super super expressive as well. Yeah, and there's there's not like a line out of place, mm. and it just it just looks so like complete and and so like so much love's gone into it and whatever else. 
and it, it just it stands out from other books of its time in that way because of how like how nice the art is um in comparison to other books of its time it just looks like it's had a lot more care and attention go into it um and yeah like just credit to the colors as well because it's just it just pops so mm. much like it's just so bright and just so jumps off the page and some of the lettering in the onomatopoeia and things like that is just absolutely fantastic <laughs> like when when uh rhino sits down on the chair in the santa's grotto and it smashes underneath him and it's like crunch <laughs> stuff like that is just absolutely brilliant batum the door coming off the toilet cubicle <laughs> yeah and it's <laughs> I've never seen such a um, like an over-the-top onomatopoeia for just like a door being kicked off its hinges. <laughs> like that's the sound when a warehouse explodes. That's that's Jason Todd. That's the last sound that Jason Todd heard. <laughs> the only I sound... thought that was a. I thought the last sound Jason Todd heard was a laugh and a wet thud. <laughs> true. Too true. soon, guys. Way too yeah. soon. Way too <laughs> I think the only thing that's um, louder than a Bethume in comic books is a Cracker Thume. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's like the next Pokemon evolution of uh, Onomatopoeia. Was it? Was it? Is Cracker? No, Crackhoom is the one that um, Crackhoom is Thor's hammer, isn't it? Hmm. I'm pretty sure Crackhoom was Thor's hammer. I'm trying to think where I remember Cracker Thume most from. There's so many Cracker Thumes that I've read. What was what was the boom tube noise? Oh, I don't from remember that. DC books. Oh. There's not many, the there's not many stories that. That, um, that I've read and reread that have a lot of boom tubes in them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's your wheelhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember that off the top of my head right now. I'd have to go back and go searching for it. But I know that the boom tube noise is very similar to Krakathoom or Krakoom. I just can't remember which one it is. <laughs> um, Leon, did you check this out? I did. I did. I did. Yes. And, uh, pretty much echo everything you guys have said. You guys have nailed every point that I would have brought up. Uh, uh, You guys are are correct in every aspect. I do love how it manages to sustain its tone throughout the whole time. Mm. Because I think the key to a very good Christmas story in these comics is to, one, have an air of not taking itself too seriously... Another is to, like, really embrace the Christmas element. Don't, like, uh, half-ass it. And I think uh, another tenant to to do it correctly is to um, be as ridiculous as possible. I think those are, like, really good ingredients to a, like, fun Christmas issue. Especially when there's like quite a decent message nestled in that isn't too heavy-handed which i quite like and Mm. with with this book it's it manages to fully have its cake and eat it because you you get to have this really cool fight that is just really well conceived really well uh like it's staging and like framing is done so well and it's uh broken up by great bits of levity I agree with you guys that any time a kid gets yeeted, it's it's amazing, <laughs> and um, like, I don't know, the, like the more setting is so great because it's got so many like, there's so many different types of locales in there and so many randos are going about that there's, it really ups the stakes. 
there's a reason that Dawn of the Dead is one of the best zombie movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, part of me thinks that uh, somebody in the prep for doing the Miles Morales PS4, uh, PS5 Spider-Man game uh, read some of this because there is a scene in there near the beginning where you, it's at Christmas and you're on the back of the rhino <laughs> <laughs> going through a mall. Uh, and it's like, no, they read this issue. <laughs> but like, um, like my favourite thing, as you guys have brought up, is just how expressive the faces are. Yeah. And it starts really early because I remember it finding it very notable how one of the homeless guys who's, who bumps into uh, Greyhawk and he's like, it's another grey monster. The town's crawling with him. Like, his face is so well rendered. Mm. Uh, and he's just a, a, a side character. Like, it, it does... For me, it reminds me of that sort of golden age uh, for for ourselves, like growing up in like the 90s and picking up comic books, then being printed in this style, the colours looking like this, the art, the pencils, everything looking like this, the bleed you get between between like the aberrations and all that. Uh, there's such a, like obviously a nostalgic feeling there, but it, it was such a u- unique time, I think. Like mm. different from the comics in the, like the seventies and eighties, and different from like the comics from the aughts or like uh, last decade. There's, there's a really specific look that, uh, it, like, just look, reading the books gives me the the sensory uh, like things that come along with this. Like in terms mm. of the touching the pages, the smell of the pages. Uh, walking into the sh- the the shop, like the the news agents to pick up the comic, and uh, like the feel of like my pocket money as I handed it. <laughs> like this, there's so many weirdly tangible feelings I get from from going down memory lane like this, reading these type of books. Hundred uh, percent. And it's it's really yeah. cool how they still hold up in, in a way. Like oh, obviously. Totally, go- yeah. Going back to these old comics, is there's things that don't uh, don't don't sort of stand the test of time fully. Like uh, it, was, it was a different time in a lot of these things. I mean, even just the start of the book. But like um, I, the messages and the the play by play and the fight, which is just so well rendered, all of that just holds up in 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 a way that doesn't make the comic feel dated at all. And it's um, I know it's remarkable that they're able to do this, and I, it, it it just reminds me of like the the simple joy of of like comics, especially like superhero comics, where yeah, it, they have yeah. like uh like messages for for kids and older that like stand the test of time, and that that while it is cool because like the image you get with this is like uh the Hulk being up Santa Claus, uh, <laughs> what. what it, it, like like you guys mentioned, it it, it, it taps into ideas on like uh, like loneliness, um, the mental health, particularly seeming like an early discussion on like bipolar disorder, and uh, just like the differences and like even to a degree class and greed, and uh, it I I do love how things like that were able to be weaved into what is essentially a story of uh, 
two grey men beating the crap out of each other. And I just, <laughs> yeah. I just like highly appreciate that stuff. Exactly. Really, I mean, this like, is they, they didn't have to do it. They really didn't have to do it, and they managed to make a full flesh story on twenty two pages. Yeah, I know. This is this is just like where this all of this comes from as well. Like this is like the the it, it, like like you're like you were alluding to insania and this is like an encapsulation of everything that the silver age of the silver age brought to superhero comics specifically mm. the works work of people like jack uh, jack kirby and stanley and whatever back in the 60s when they were conceiving these characters like this is what those books in the 60s were like but probably i mean this has probably got more grit to it than that i mean it's probably a little more fully um fully fleshed go you know like a little a little braver with things but like books in the sixties would have had, you know, very similar themes, very similar, like story set up and, and like, you know, kind of like story flow to this really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it is this, this fully captures that Marvel magic, I have to say. Mm. Um, so guys, it, it, we, we have to score this. <laughs> so, um, it, it's got a possible 20 stars. So, how many stars out of five, Marv? You get to go first because you're the uh, you're the, this is your choice. So, I would, hmm, I like I don't want to give it a three, um, because I feel like it deserves a four. I'm going to give it a four, but I'm going to give it the caveat that I still feel like the turtle story felt more heartfelt and Christmassy. But I think it does deserve a four, uh, my choice because. It managed to cover so many emotions and so many messages in so so little time, and do it yeah. in a, a really classy present presentation as well. So I'll yeah. give it a four. I'll give it a four. Yeah. Um. And uh, Ray, how many stars? Yeah, straight up four. Fuck macadamia nuts. Giving it. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I happen to like macadamias. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't actually have such strong feelings on macadamia nuts. You you said that in a in a darkened room in a swivel chair with bright red eyes in a, a glass like, of cognac in your hand. Yeah, yeah. You fool. A fool for liking macadamias. Oh, I'll get you next time, Greg. Some next of us time. have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> um so I'm going to I like chocolate coated macadamias, so I'm gonna give this a you know, what? I'm, I'm going to give this a four. The only reason it doesn't get a five is because it was published in fucking February. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the thing is, I, I think that's like the publisher month they put on it, but I don't think it came. It can't have come out in actual February. Well, man, it's February cover date, dude. Yeah, and but like if it was it, surely like if they were doing like the month ahead, month in hand thing, surely it would have been uh, January. Man, what happened that year? <laughs> Imagine asking that in 2020. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but that's my point. Like, we got an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> it was 1991. My brother was n nigh on a month old when this comic came out. I don't know, but yeah. Um. So, like, I would. Yeah, I, I just I, I would say it probably was printed in February, but I I mean like if anybody knows better than we do, because obviously I tried to find, you know, the original print dates for these things when I set these up and uh, I went looking for it and it was February cover date. Everywhere I looked says February ninety one. If anyone knows better than me and knows when this comic actually did come out, uh, get in touch with Ace Comicals and tell us. But for now we're going with February and that's why it gets four stars. No <laughs> apology. Uh Leon, where 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 are we with you? 
Uh, I'm going to echo as well. Uh, I think four is a good score. Yeah. Um, I've just gone down a rabbit hole, but it's quite a short rabbit hole. So I, I was I was wondering about Donna Shugagas and her like uh, cookies. I was like, is she a person? <laughs> so like, uh, like so I don't know, like a TV personality in America around that time. Yeah. Uh, so I searched, and the first thing that came up is that she's got a wiki in the Marvel fandom. I was like, what? She's got a wiki. So I thought, maybe there she's in like, and, and it's it's specifically her name, uh, per, uh, parent um Earth six one six. Are there more of her? Like, who is? Oh, she's got a page. Uh, and like you go in, you go into it, and I know fandoms are done by anyone, blah blah. But it says real name, blah blah. Base of operations, uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and it's like. But how how do they know that? She could have just been passing through. Like, like what's going on? And like they don't go into any other detail. And it's like <laughs> links, links, and references. It's all the same comic. And I was like. Then why she got a page? Like, who is she? Because she appeared once in one comic and she was named. Yeah. In, I don't know. Like, in, in, a, in a comic full of like OTT faces, she's got an like extremely expressive, creepy face. Like, I would, I'd remember her. I, I think <laughs> she's a watcher in disguise. She probably. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a pitch to Marvel now, where she comes back as a cosmic force that serves cookies that keeps Galactus sated so that he doesn't have to eat planets. <laughs> Didn't you see that uh, Disney investor thing with the million announcement? She's got her own Disney Plus show. Is it cooking with Donna Chicago? Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a spin-off of uh, WandaVision. She's trapped in that 50s part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. So it, it's like the TV show that Wanda's watching in WandaVision. So that's the spin-off. Wanda's watching the cooking show and the cooking show is Donna making it's, cookies. It's the same way that um, Kill Bill uh, um, is a movie that the characters in Pulp Fiction would watch in Quentin Tarantino's universe. Yeah. <laughs> I wish Marvel would be that daring and like do a cooking show set in the Marvel universe. That would be amazing. Oh, that'd be fantastic! Like every yeah. every episode, a different hero and villain bust through the wall and like try a cookie like, or like have a sip of ramen or something. Can you no? Can you imagine like Master Chef, but like with like the Avengers? Yeah. Like, but like with real recipes as well at the same yeah. time, like <laughs> written in. That would be great. Mm. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. It'd be like it'd be like one of those um, cooking mangas or cooking animes you, mm. that you see. Um, I, I would yeah. be I would be like on tender hooks waiting for the Gambit episode. Nice Cajun ticket. <laughs> yeah, you know he's making gumbo. <laughs> um, so moving on from there, we are now at eleventh of December, nineteen ninety six. The Mega Drive is plugged into the TV. Uh, you are fighting with your brother over the uh, joypad for um, the chance to play. Um, it would have been Sonic 2, maybe Shinobi. Uh, but we didn't like playing Sonic 2 two-player because whoever got to play as Tails got the raw deal. So there was just absolutely no point. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 we are in December 1996 and we are here to talk about uh, Sonic the comic. Finally. Finally, we, we have converged to... <laughs> Let's talk about time. issue of Sonic the Comic. What a year yes. it's been. From Nightfall to Sonic the Comic, it's like all my dreams are coming true. Yes, well, I mean, I'm on, I want to do a big feature on Sonic the Comic because it's a really interesting piece of British comic history, being the official Sega comic in Britain, 
that had its own continuity that was like based on the games and everything else that was separate from the Archie comics continuity. And it just like, I don't know. It just, it just had this like brilliant, like it's this brilliant little piece of British comics history that I just absolutely love and was actually a full part of as a kid. And one day I'm going to do a full feature AC episode on it. We have to, but yeah, this was a trip to planet nostalgia for me. So like I've, I, um, I would have had like this, uh, as a kid, this book, I would have had the physical copy of it. Um, these are going to be like extremely hard to track down these days or whatever. So, I mean, like they, but they're so cool. So this is like Sonic, the comic published by Fleetway in the UK. Um, let's just get out of the way. The fact first that, uh, people that were fans of Sonic, the comic or readers of the Sonic, the comic were called boomers. Okay. Uh, let's get that. Let's get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're all boomers marv we're I'll, all boomers I'll, I'll accept my fate rahul rahul yep you're a boomer yep <laughs> leon what you're a boomer too. <laughs> <laughs> that matches my with pit. my that matches with my oc karen the hedgehog <laughs> she's got that she's got that um she's got those asymmetric spikes you know <laughs> she wants to speak to the manager yeah she's got the badger dye so it's like blonde and brunette different patches yeah she could be she could be karen the badger instead of karen the hedgehog oh that would be amazing yeah so um yeah this is uh karen the honey badger so this is um sonic the comic <laughs> Issue number 93. <laughs> sorry, carry on. I'm sorry, that got me. That got me. <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it, a trip to Planet Nostalgia. Like, I, I actually remember having this one. The cover sticks in my mind with just like this, this. The way they used to draw Sonic spinning, like, they just basically used to just like negate his body. Just yeah, like put yeah. his feet and his arms on the side of his head. It's hilarious. Um, and this is the this is the comic that taught me how to draw Sonic. So as a kid, I would trace pages from this, and then I would try to copy them and things like that. And this is where I learned how to draw Sonic the Hedgehog. So like this was you know like a real integral part of my childhood. This comic and like the the um, the, the just the stuff on the on the on the comic cover, you know, Tinsel Time, Cool Yule Action, uh, and there's also a, a Mega Drive review of Sonic 3D, which uh, apparently they look on it very favorably because I remember playing it and <laughs> not being able to make heads or tails of it back then and thinking it was a mess. Uh, as a 10 year old kid I was like I don't like Sonic 3D I want to put Sonic and Knuckles back on I was I was blown away by it but like literally a year later I was like this is not the innovation that everyone's touting it to be (laughs) well yeah I mean you read the review in this comic and they're like oh it's it's so great to see Sonic finally in full 3D you can move into the foreground it's like no you can't (laughs) Sonic Adventures like hold my beer yeah (laughs) can you imagine if Sonic the comic dunked on Sonic 3D (laughs) Well, on the, in the Mega Drive charts, Sonic and Knuckles is only at the number at this point in time because they have like a chart for the games in the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the uh, issue called the Control Zone, and uh, this is uh, <laughs> this is this is uh, run by Megadroid, who is like the kind of um, the MC of Sonic the Comic, if you like. And uh, at the uh, on the list of Mega Drive games, because they've got like the, the the game charts for all the Sega consoles. So the the chart of Mega Drive games, the top ten, Sonic and Knuckles is in at number six, but Road Rash 
2 is at number 1. I don't think I've ever played Road Rash 2. I mean, they didn't they didn't dictate these lists. These are like how popular or like how good the sales yeah. were, right? <laughs> FIFA 96 <laughs> is number 4. Toy Story is beating Sonic and Knuckles. Man, I... Toy Story and Sonic the Comic don't fit together in the same like chronology in my head. It's so weird. Yeah, yeah, I think back and like to me, like Toy Story was like 15 years after Sonic the Comic. Mm. Exactly, yeah. But like, mm. this is like it's it's all around the same time, and it's actually compressed, and it's weird. Um, you know, um, you know what blew me away was um, like I remember reading Sonic the Comic religiously, obviously, but I remember when um, they started bringing in like Sonic and Knuckles elements and stuff, and I was like, this is relevant to the game I'm playing at the moment. Like, yeah, it's like life has caught up to the comic. What's going on? You know. Well. That was that was the cool thing about it. So it had like this kind of link to the games and they used to do storylines based on the the kind of like the stories storylines in the actual video games themselves. And they used to take elements from the game zones and things like that. And they used to bring them to life in panels and comics. Um, and it just it just kind of like it gave a whole new dimension to what you were playing. And that was why it was quite important as a kid growing up with Sonic the Hedgehog and loving Sonic. Um, the, and this this kind of just, you know, it, it was this was a thing like and and i had a, a, a there's a guy who went to the same school as me i had a friend at school he would make his own sonic the comic and he would give it to me like he would get a3 pages fold them over and draw his own sonic the comic i i don't i don't want to start anything because like i know you said you wanted to do like a proper episode and i yeah. don't i also don't want to like <laughs> out leon as as much of a nerd as i am but we used to trade <laughs> sonic ocs back in the day like i used to i made Legit. my own I made my own Sonic the comic where I like was chronicling the story of Sonic 3. So I have I it's somewhere in my bedroom I've got a proper tome that I I just did like proper paneling and like all these different dynamic panels. I think I had like um I think it was just a six panel scheme usually and then when something important happened I'd change it up a bit and stuff. It's the first and only foray I've ever done into making my own comic. But I would do that on the regular. And on the side when I was doing all my like random doodles and like anime drawings and stuff me and Leon had like an A4 like um, lined book each where we would just make our own characters up across the board. But we had a huge section that was Sonic characters. And every time one of us would visit the other one's house, we would basically trade characters, make up stories where we would have crossovers and stuff. It was a very important, really nerdy formative time in our lives. <laughs> it was very important, like <laughs> very important. <laughs> I, I used to do similar things like we used to make up characters trade ideas for zones and whatever and it just like fed our imaginations <laughs> so like I, I i had a i had a similar experience <laughs> um and yeah it, it's like so in within this book because this is the december issue the christmas issue it's uh there's two very seasonal tales so um do you get it two seasonal tales two tales do you get it, uh, you get it? You see what I did there? yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the, the first one opens the book, and this one's called A Christmas Wish, and this is the story of Sonic in, trapped in the special zone, enjoying Christmas in the special zone, away from his family and friends that are in Green, uh, Emerald Hill Zone, because in comic continuity, Sonic's in the special zone, something, 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 yeah. Um, I can't exactly remember precisely what's going on. I'd need to read what's happened before and what's happened after. Um but he's in the special zone and uh, he's with the Chaotics and um, a kid gets a insect guy costume for Christmas. Now, insect guy uh, is um, he's your he's your um, your amiable, approachable community insect guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he wears red and blue 
and uh, he swings from the rooftops and um, he's space, space is Spider-Man. It's Spider-Man. But they call him Insect Guy for probably think, copyright think... reasons. <laughs> A, re- a really, a really nice touch on Insect Guy is that his name is written as Insect Dash Guy. Yeah, I yeah, that was some wonderful attention to detail there. Yeah, you got, you got to, you got to, you know, bring back the hyphen, man. Because it's like there's a lot of Spider-Man comics that don't have the hyphen, right? I'm all for the hyphen. I don't know about you, but I'm all for the hyphen. <laughs> I'm pro hyphen. Yeah. yeah, I'm pro hyphen. So. He gets this uh, insect guy costume and uh, he gets himself into a world of trouble when he actually believes his Christmas wish came true and thinks he can fly and decides to just go diving out of a window, as you do. Uh, he comes up against um, this uh, Kirby-esque villain called the Blazer. That It really does look something Jack Kirby. So not only is this like a, um, a, a Christmas story, but it also kind of doubles as a nod to classic Marvel stories. Mm. Even in the way that the Blazer's using his powers, where he's just like the two open hands with the big beam of heat or whatever. And then uh, Sonic and the Chaotics get involved like the Avengers to take this thing down while the kid dressed as Insect Guy sits on the sidelines and sulks a little bit, you know, thinking he's not a real hero. Kind of like Spider-Man would in his inner monologue had the Avengers got involved if Spider-Man was fighting some big dude on the streets. Or if the uh, um, X-Men, or if the X Men had reminded him yet again that he's not technically a mutant, so he can't yeah. technically join the team. <laughs> yeah, I just want a three-panel story of that where it's like a bunch of X Men in a queue walking through one of those portals to Krakoa, and Spider Man's at the end of the queue, and then he just hits the wall and then just sits down next to it and cries. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, so yeah, that's this this whole thing. It's like it's like that, but it's more explicit. And, and more geared up like to a younger reader um and it has that whole christmas thing with like um you know the christmas spirit and whatever and the, the gift of the spirit of giving and and them teaching this kid how to be a real hero in that he's giving gifts to kids in the orf- in the hospital and things like that and making sure that everyone has a beautiful christmas which is awesome and uh, yeah it's a nice little christmas thing and i remember reading it at the time and i remember getting very into it so um yeah that would have been uh a brilliant little Christmas story for me. And like some of the, like the colors and the line work and everything, like just, this was like really, really pretty high quality artwork. Like for most kids comics that were going at the time, this, this Sonic, the comic stood out as the premier kids comic. Um, like the thing that you could get from any news agents, whatever. And it just, it had like this, this real quality about it and everything else. The, the drawing, the art was quality and, and the art was like the big draw for me. Like, it was absolutely gorgeous. Like the, and, the, the, um, art, the art was beyond quality, like back then, because like yeah, when we talked on the Nightfall episode about like our our, our favorite like Nightfall um, artists and stuff like that, it's like some of the top tier Sonic the comic artwork I think rivaled like some of the top tier Batman artwork in Nightfall back then, because it was oh, just like the, atten- yeah. the attention to detail that they put. It, no kids comic had any right looking as good as Sonic the comic did in certain stories. God yeah. help me, I can't remember the name of all of the artists that worked on Sonic the Comic off the top of my head. But oh, there's millions a of them. Of them where, yeah. Like when they were doing the big main storylines, like when they were doing the end of Sonic 3, when they were doing like uh, Super Sonic versus um, Metal Sonic, like these comics looked as good as like your top end Batman and um, Spider-Man comics. It was insane. Back exactly, then. yeah. Insane. It was absolutely insane. And it wasn't even like Archie's um, Sonic. It was British... <laughs> Sonic the comic Sonic looking yeah. as good as like DC and Marvel. I was blown away. 
and their design of Dr. Robotnik's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I can't it. remember if it was the uh, co the comic influence in the cartoon or the cartoon influence in the comic. Yeah. As in Might the been... one, because I know obviously yeah. the British comic wouldn't influence America, but... Yeah. I mean, it might have been a little bit of everything, really, but like their design for Doctor Robotnik in this was is, is absolutely amazing. Because like the second Christmassy tale in this is uh, it's a season of goodwill where Santa visits um, Doctor Robotnik and tries to convince Doctor Robotnik to change his ways. And again, it looks great. It's got that real Christmassy feel. Um, these might be the stories that Leon was talking about earlier in the cast when he says that they're a little preachy. Um, I don't know, but. Like I, I still think they're brilliant, and I still think they're they're good fun. And I love I love the in universe Santa. So, I love like how they managed to get Santa into the Sonic universe, and he looks in universe. He looks like a Sonic character. Mm. Like they've they've like made Santa like th this is the Santa of Mobius, the Santa of Planet Mobius, and it's just it's so awesome how they managed to do it and all these original characters that they introduced throughout like the kind of like the continuity of sonic the comic with like um characters like uh short fuse and techno the canary mm. and it's just it's just great like all of it me and marvel and... always gutted that the cybernic was never in the game exactly yeah. short, short fuse has such a place in my heart like if i think back to sonic yeah. the comic and try and think of the things that impacted me the most it was short fuse the cybernic and tails in his trench coat as the zone runner yeah. which yeah. For, yeah. for years i didn't realize was a, a blatant blade runner reference because i'd read sonic the comic before i'd watched blade runner but oh man those two images will live with me until i enter the grave it's insane but yeah it's yeah short fuse the cybernic which is like I've just I've just made the connection now. If you look at images of Silver Samurai, <laughs> and if you look at Short Fuse, <laughs> it's just, they you, that's that's pretty much it. That's where the design came from. You can see it. Mm. Um, but yeah, like um, and and the the uh, the knuckle stories with um, was it Doctor Zachary? Uh, yeah, the white yeah, echidna yeah. with all the like the white echidna with all the mechanical like additions to his body uh, like, you've just you've opened a box in my head yeah man those are the ones that stick in my head. mind <laughs> but yeah i i i loved these books um mm. and and I, I i love these christmas stories so like what do you make of these christmas tales marv the one thing that jumped out to me because it's been literally decades since i've read sonic the comic i had forgotten how intensely intensely british they are like I'm reading it. Like I think when I read these as a kid, I read them with American accents and stuff. The the sort of accents that you would see in cartoons then. And then when you had like the obviously like um the 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 cartoon Sonic, the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, and then you had the Saturday AM Sonic, which was way more gritty and a million times better. I attributed those voices to the characters in the comic. But like reading it just as it is, it's like the first couple of panels, they're like, oh, um, have you opened your prezzies? And it's like, no one in America would ever say the word prezzies. Just Thanks for me, prezzies, ma'am. Exactly. The fact that they had yeah. prezzies there. I'm like, oh, my. And then like in the second story, um, Amy, um, the, the canary says something to Amy and Amy says, too right. And I'm like, only British people and Australian people say the words too right in that way. Yeah. It's yeah. Crimbo Zone. There was an interlude between the two stories called Crimbo Zone. I'm like, this is the most British comic that ever lived. Yeah. And the, the and stories the... the stories were good too. <laughs> but yeah. I was really hit by the Britishness. <laughs> it is it's super British and it's great for that. <laughs> um 
so like uh ray what did you make of this <sighs> listening to you guys talk about your uh like your history with this comic just makes me feel like again maybe this is something that we should talk about in the actual sonic the comic cast but mm. like same touchstone different angles like i had a very different experience with these comics and the same amount of love but like i i never got to enjoy these quite as cons- or not nearly as consistently as you guys did i was only ever allowed to like pick out sporadic comics when i could like kind of sneak them into my mom's shopping basket every so often when we were at the shop that happened to have these comics you know what i mean so like i would get maybe one in 12 of these a year kind of thing mm. um but like yeah the thing that struck me about this wasn't really the comic itself like i i could take or leave the plot that was in this i love the artwork and stuff and i'll get to that in a second but really what i got a nostalgia pang from with this was just living vicariously through a fucking magazine like i was that kid who i didn't have a mega drive or a saturn or a mega cd um like i i had to enjoy these games and stuff through the lens of these magazines that even then i didn't get to enjoy completely so like sitting through this give me and and listening to you guys talk about it gave me such a pang for a life that wasn't lived you know like seeing you guys on the other side of the country and kind of like going through the same motions that i was going through making these you know making my own comics or like making collages that i'd cut up out of these these comics and stuff i had such a wave of nostalgia for that um I think I'm going to go on about, like, the art the way that you guys did, because I really love how detailed and, like, thinking back on it, how mature the artwork is for these. Like like Greg was saying, compared to other kids' comics at the time, there's a lot of detail and there's a lot of, like, effort and talent gone into this. Like, I especially love the panel that's an uh, obvious homage to Spider-Man. Like, it's just so detailed and dynamic and, and cool and, like... Yeah, there's just a lot of cool in these comics. Uh, I also really love how cute the main character of the first comic is. Um, I got to say, like, I got to the second and third ones and I wasn't really that interested. I kind of skipped over them, but I really, really love the adverts. Like, I love all the the interlude bits, all the pictures of, like, other kids who've, um, you know, drawn Sonic in their own way using, um, like, felt-tip pens that aren't quite the right shade or anything like that. Like... Um, the little data panel at the end where like you can I was totally the kid that did this and it explains why I'm a data analyst now I guess but like there's a strip at the very last page where you can cut it out and you can fill in like little info points about when you first started reading Sonic the comic and what your favorite film is and what your favorite singer is and do you do you have um, like what type of uh, Sega system do you have and I wouldn't be able to tick any of them but I would pretend that I had them so I'd tick all of the boxes like (laughs) and then your final rating for this issue 93 like oh all of this stuff just makes me feel like a kid again it's so cool um I wish I had more of these on paper um I have to openly admit I found this online because there's a you know a record of all of these comics just available to read um on a website which like I don't normally condone uh, not paying for stuff, but like I'm glad this exists because I have no other way to access this stuff and you know have that nostalgia key like plonked in my head. Yeah, um, yeah this was great. Um, as for the the first Christmassy story, uh, Greg, yeah, what you were saying, I think this might be one of the ones that Leon was saying is quite preachy. Um, I didn't really care for the plot. I don't really care about these ancillary characters really because like I only was only really there for Sonic and Knuckles and Tails, I guess. Um, I don't really recall any of these side characters, and I'm not sure if I should 
Um, but I, I like the, you know, the allusions to Spider-Man and I like that it has at least a positive message at the end. Um, more I, than anything, I, I just, I, I love all the interview yeah. bits, all the reviews of reviews of games and like screenshots of Mega Drive games and stuff. And the fan art. Yeah. <laughs> and the I, fan I, art, yeah. I, 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 I sent so I many pictures into Go on, yeah. sorry, Greg. I say I sent so many pictures into this and I don't think one got printed. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, no, oh. I, I, I lived my life through Ezra who said the, the, the game reviews and the, uh, the the artwork and stuff that was sent in like it made you feel like almost part of a community because like I was mm. saying me and Leon spent so much time just like drawing this stuff like to, to every time to, to know that every time you opened these comics every issue you got someone else well everyone else was doing the same thing that you were you felt like you were part of something Mm. Yeah, and I I think the thing that I really like about Sonic the Comic compared to other like the the very few touchstones that I have for this at that age is like it felt like a good blend between comic and magazine mm. where like it has magazine elements, it has all these reviews and all these other things and there's so much going on and it like it touched that somewhat ADD adult part of my childhood where like I just wanted to be constantly fed something different and new and every page had like either a bit of a story or a bit of an infographic or, you know, some, um, like, some cool pseudo-90s techie thing that, I, I don't know, I just loved all this roboticness and uh, faux futurism and stuff. I just, I, yeah, just really, really like the style of this thing. Mm. Um, Leon, let's hear your thoughts, please. Yeah, uh, I, once again, I echo a lot of what you guys said. Um, there's some troubling elements this comic, though. <laughs> let's go you'll have to tell us because I skipped like, yeah. over most of the plot like, come on Karen the honey badger let's do this <laughs> like, as a boomer how dare you tell me what I know better than if I want to go now over windows <laughs> in my, any circumstances I want to copy that <laughs> um, like, so like Christmas okay it's cool. We understand it. I don't know why they celebrate it on Planet Meridian, but it's cool. I love it. Uh, there's an X-Wing in this. What? There's an X-Wing? What the hell? <laughs> okay, that, that that's troubling. This is troubling because this means that Star Wars is entertainment in the Sonic universe and we've never, ever got to see that in the games. Hey, Star Wars might have actually happened in the Sonic universe. You don't know. You don't know it. You don't know if if Planet Mobius or Planet Meridian exist in a a far away part of the Star Wars universe, like in the Outer Rim or something. You know, I, very true. I have, say, I have to say, if Star Wars happened in the in the um, Sonic the Comic universe, and that means that Robotnik is just. Um, a plagiarist because the death egg instead of it just being like a touching homage to the death star it means that he saw the death star in a movie and said i'll make one of those yeah, yeah. <laughs> or he saw it in a history book <laughs> ooh, ooh. it's true it's true what's no, what? like the... oh, go on greg yeah I, I was gonna say um like it, 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 i was just gonna say what if the connecting factor between all of these is santa claus and and what if um, because with Santa being real in the Marvel universe and Santa being in the Sonic universe and clearly real, um, like what if what if Santa is this pan-dimensional being that just kind of like flits between different comic universes? Santa is the Force. Yeah, I could see that because Santa turns up in like the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe as well. Like Santa's the one constant of the universe, like of the, mm. of the multiverse. 
What if Santa is God? <laughs> <laughs> Just sweep all the pieces off the board, Greg. Just like <laughs> <laughs> This is my this is my that. Pepe Silver moment. Don't ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been connecting the strings for weeks. <laughs> Yeah, um, so Leon, finish your thought, please. <laughs> okay, so... On the page before, <laughs> where we get the, the Spider-Man uh, homage, uh, as he's, uh, wow, look at all my prezzies, which, which did hit me as well, Marv. I was like, was it all... I remember, like, the non-comic stuff being super British. Yeah, but the, the actual panels, like, it, it feels like the uh, the astronaut meme is like, Wait, it was always it, it was yeah, it, it yeah. always was. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there, there's such a great detail here as he's opening his presents, where his uh, parents, who are also uh, dogs, uh, they're not just standing there saying "Happy Christmas." Like, they're like cuddled up while the mum is like drinking mm. a coffee. Like, this, they've got slippers on. Like, <laughs> there's there's some crazy detail here. <laughs> yeah, uh, and. This leads me back to what we were saying, what you guys were saying earlier. And it's like the art, the deed, there's so much detail here, like more than like legit. I, I could say that without revisiting Sonic the comic, I would have just said, yeah, I love it because of nostalgia. I don't care. It's nostalgia. But looking back at these images, just like, like seeing chaotix, the first time we see, um, what's his name? Is it Charmy B? Like mm. he's rendered so well. As he's mm. uh, catching the kid, it's, it's like what? Like, cause I always kind of loved uh, that design because uh, uh, I love any design that has um, like goggles on. Like, I like the Catwoman design that has goggles. The goggles just look cool. Mm. Uh, but like all all of them, who let's face it, apart from Vector, they're all Sonic ripoffs. <laughs> <laughs> but like, they're designed so well. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of uh, just how, like, what you guys are saying, as the comic arcs caught up to the games. I mean, it, it just was... The problem with that is that it, it, it set us up for thinking, oh, maybe the games are going to start doing stuff from the comics, because we didn't really have an idea of UK publishing and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think that speaks to the strength of these comics and how, like, despite it being, like, uh, like anthropologically, Pomorphized animals. There's so much uh, expression. There's so much detail. Uh, the action is usually rendered uh, really, really well, uh, and in re really silly ways. And the palette, the color palette, it's hard to describe because the last book was like uber vibrant, like uber vibrant. Like put on some, put on some shades. The uh, <laughs> even Greyhawk was blinding out there, but like. This one, it's not muted, but the colours are a lot more, like, natural. Mm. Uh, and it, it creates... Because when you think of Sonic to a degree, it's, like, robots and animals and, like, high-tech. But I think this really grounds it as, like, a, a Christmassy thing. And it, it reminds you of the, of the sort of time that this was in, where everything was about the really good thing you could do is help out like a, a child hospital or a child or, or an orphanage or something like that. Like mm. that was that was the shortcut to you're a stand-up guy or the shortcut to you're an absolute scumbag if you'll deprive them of their toys type of thing. And um, 
it's it's funny because it in in ways it's such a like whether in the book or for ourselves, it was such a pure time, <laughs> such a even though it what it, it wasn't globally, it was such a purer like simpler time. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I think that it works. It works as a Christmas story pretty well. It it does get uh my, like kiddy moralistic in ways, and I do kind of dislike the main kid to be honest. He's annoying, but uh, <laughs> I I just like. The silly world it's in. I, I I like so like a lot of a lot of comics that I really like when it comes to superhero comics, and I, I think it's a reason why the MCU's done pretty well. Is that I I like seeing the heroes when they're not facing the big bad guys. I like seeing them hang out from time to time, and it used to be a lot of my favorite time with the X Men when they would uh, be chilling and uh, like being people instead of being heroes in the middle of saving the world. And I do kind of like that's the the thread going through a lot of these Christmas comics where it's like they're not active, they're just like oh, it's Christmas time, we're chilling. Oh no, this has happened. We've got to get in gear and then get home in time for Christmas dinner. Uh, and it is it is it is cool, but it's funny like reading that first story and then going to this last going to the last one, the uh, season of Goodwill. It's funny how just straight to the point this is. <laughs> yeah. It's not even a Christmas carol. It's just like, stop being a douche. Uh, and it's like, but wait, yeah. I, I like being a douche. Look, I've got <laughs> this thing. And then uh, Cybernick's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, there was a gap between uh, meals. So I went to the bathroom, thought I'd fly up into space, destroy your thing, and head back. See you later. And this is like, and then Father Christmas is like, don't be a douche. And Robotnik's <laughs> like, I'm so lonely. It's like, <laughs> it just gets straight to the point. <laughs> yeah. It still finds time, though. And it's the yeah. thing that I love the most about that particular story to, like, obviously, Santa, all knowing, knows what all the kids are doing. It's like, Ovi, you're better than this. And it's like, my name is Ivor Robotnik. You were once Ovi Kintober. <laughs> and it's like, oh man, like, that just sent a dagger through my heart of nostalgia. Like, the whole backstory of, like, Robotnik's um, creation and everything, yeah. and it being tied to Sonic and classic comic book stuff. Brown but, like, Sonic. Yeah, that that issue. I I begged you for that issue, and then I sent off the back issue slips on the uh, the, the 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 inside of the back covers to get it for myself. Uh, again, a simpler time, but again, like as straight to the point as it was, it still ties in some of the deep Sonic lore. So <laughs> I like that that it was like um, reminding Robotnik of who he was to try and appeal mm. to his better nature. Exactly. And I just, I just think it, it just, I don't know. I, I had to get this out. I had to tell you guys to read this. Like I, I had to make you guys read this. I had to, <laughs> like, I just, I just had to do this and we are going to do, we need to do a proper episode covering Sonic the Conic. We really do because like this almost is turning into a Sonic the Comic episode at this point, but like, <laughs> it's just, it's just, I, I feel like there's just so much here to cover. Like we should, we should cover like um, some of the bits where the storylines actually follow the games and things like that. Cause that would be cool. What I wanted to get into as well, like sidelines. So originally Sonic the Comic was published by Fleetway um, and it was between like 1993 and 2002. And there was 223 issues, 184 were originals. And then some of them were like reprints. Um, did you know that Sonic the Comic is still going? The British Sonic the Comic? Yeah, it's like a fan project now. Oh, wow, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, um, I put a link in the, uh, in the, the, um, the, the, 
the discord earlier so you can check it on the chat if you want to have a quick look but if uh, for our listeners if you go to stconline.co.uk or um you will be able to find the the fan continuation of sonic the comic which um yeah it's it's at, like these these people loved it that much they decided to keep it going and they kept it going through the sonic adventure stuff and everything else like they just they kept it running are you telling me, Greg, are you telling yeah. me that we have a British comic book version of the Japanese Sonic X anime? I don't know, because I've not read any of this yet, but it might well be <laughs> if you want to go and have a look. <laughs> it's all there and it's all like, you know, the original continuity and everything else. Like they keep all the original characters going and things like that. So, um, yeah, by the looks of it, it's worth your time. Check it out. Nice. Uh, but yeah, Sonic the Comics is still going. It's mad. Um, I, I was I was kind of like, I was really surprised when I found that. I was like, no way. But yeah, like, um, so what I'm going to do first, I'm going to go through the uh, the the uh, credits for the Hulk because like we totally neglected to do that. So uh, Incredible Hulk Volume 1, 378, which was February 1991. And that was by cover. Well, the cover artist on that was uh, Bill Jasker and Bob McLeod. And it was written by Peter David and Kurt Busiek, penciled by uh, Bill Jasker, Inker, Jeff Albrecht, and colorist Glynis Oliver with letters by Joe Rosen. Uh, in the Sonic book, I mean, like, these are always like an anthology type thing. There's always a few stories. But the two stories we highlighted because they're the Christmas stories were A Christmas Wish and A Season of Goodwill. So these were this this book was released 11th of December 1996. And uh, the first story, A Christmas Wish, was, Christmas Wish, was written by Lou Stringer. Uh, Roberto Corona was the artist there. Steve White did the colouring and Tom Frame did the lettering. And on Season of Goodwill, the script was by Lou Stringer. Art by Andy Pritchett and Steve White and lettering by Gordon Robson. So, uh, scores out of five for the Sonic the Comic. In its Christmasiness, uh, how many Christmas stars out of five would you give it? Leon, let's you go first this time. I'm going to go five for the art, but maybe 3.5 overall. 3.5, okay. Um, and Marv, how about you? A solid three for me. Solid, solid three? Yeah. Um, Ray, how about you? I'm thinking a two because I didn't really care about the plot, but I like the artwork and the <laughs> format. Yeah. Um... <sighs> <laughs> I've given everything like high, like four, <laughs> four. But I, I can't in good faith, as much as I love Sonic the Comic, having given a four to the Michelangelo, a five to the Michelangelo book and a four to Incredible Hawk. I cannot in good faith also give this a four. I think I'm going to have to give it a 3.5 like Leon. So that gives us seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 points out of 20. So, so far, Michelangelo is still winning. Um, but we have one last book to talk about today, and that is the Marvel Digital Holiday Special, which was your, your pick, Leon? It was, it was. Yep, so this is the Marvel Digital Holiday Special number two, which was released in 2009. Um, now, there was a number one for this, but like, is this, so is this self, Leon, like, because I've read this one, but I don't know, I've not read like number one or anything. Like, is this self-contained or does it continue on from something else? No, they're all like, uh, like short anthology stories. I looked into it. I was yeah. wondering why it's called number two, but I think what they did is for 2008, 
they must have relaunched like their type of like Christmas special line. And yeah. so the digital comics one, there's uh, one that came out in 08 that had some Spider-Man stories and stuff. And then this was like, it's referred to as the same volume as the, the year before, but it's part two. And then I think they did a completely different Christmas thing the next year. Comics, man. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's kind of like what they do with the Batman annuals now, where it's like, there's been more than three Batman annuals, but they've got Batman annuals numbered one to three from recent times. It's confusing as hell. Um, so yeah, Marvel Digital Holiday Special, take it away, Leon. Tell us about it. Well, yeah, so for this, uh, there's a methodology behind me picking this. <laughs> um, so I wanted something that would be completely different from what we've done before. And I, I'm glad you've gone in chronological order, actually, because it, it does sort of fit... Uh, the thing that I was looking to explore. And this book was made, as we said, in 2009. Uh, so it's way later than even the last book that we did. And comparing it to the books that have come before, you can just feel like the change in everything, the change in technology, the change in like styles, the change in approaches, the change in content, the change in looks, the change in publishing. Like it, It's such like a... a not just gonna say aberration. It's like an evolution of what's come before, for like for for better or worse. And I picked I picked this particular story because I don't know if I ever sent this on cast before. Maybe when you reviewed one of the Deadpool films, but like Deadpool's never been one of my favorite superheroes. Um, and I think that's because Deadpool became a thing in comics way after I was reading like a Marvel comics. So Deadpool for me is always been tainted by his fan base to a degree and tainted and sort by of conventions. like yeah uh, yeah definitely and, and tainted by uh like poor applications of like that character in other medium and i'm not i'm not just talking about the uh the x-men origins movie but just um <laughs> in things that weren't the comics obviously i wasn't reading the comics um deadpool was it was always done in a way that left a sour taste in my mouth, despite the fact that the idea of a uh, like canon comic book character who can like break the fourth wall is actually pretty cool. And I'm sure it was pretty cool when it first started. But by the time it got round to me exposure, I was just like, uh. so. Um, but then like the movies came out, and I liked the movies uh, to my own surprise, uh, and I've had to reevaluate that. Deadpool is probably good, but um, it's just the people who like Deadpool who are awful. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, the, it's that, the fans, they ruin it for everyone. Yeah, it's pretty a much. Pretty much. Syndrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, so I wanted to pick something out of my comfort zone and uh, pick this. And I picked this because I, it, it'd been um, recommended as a good short story, and I thought a nice short story to wrap up even though I didn't know this would be the last one, but I'm glad it is, um, would be a good idea. And this story is so slight that it cracks me up. Like, you guys picked your choices because you generally like, oh, I love this thing from the past. I'm going to get back and get down. Nostalgia Central. I was just like, oh, it's cool. I like Sanford Green art. And this seems so silly and slight that um, I, I want us to talk about it. And it's so different from everything else. So, like, the basic story of this is... Um, 
Deadpool, the, the Merkel Mouth, he's sent to the North Pole by a hitman to uh, like basically take out Santa because the hitman uh, has been on the naughty list. Uh, so what he's going to do, he, actually, he's going to he's going to hack uh, the uh, the massive computer thing that uh, that keeps the list and change change him from uh, the naughty list to the nice list. So it's already, uh, I guess, it is already fitting one of the parameters that I laid out before of what to do with a Christmas book. But this is, there's no message here, and that's what I kind of like about it. It's so dumb. <laughs> like, uh, so so Deadpool's there. He like sets off like a reindeer, like uh, with a, a grenade in its nose, like Rudolph, which sends out like uh, the uh, Christmas elves with like semi-automatics, actually full automatics. Uh, running out and then Deadpool proceeds to stealth his way in choke out um, an elf and then Santa's waiting for him and then they start fighting Uh, and during that like Deadpool's nonsense has caused uh, a yeti for some reason to to, uh, barge in Uh, and you think like oh this is going to be a hassle because like Santa's all like oh you've done it now man what have you done what have you done and Deadpool takes him out the next page (laughs) <laughs> and then they're like they're like super like buddy buddy after it broken candy cane uh, nunchuck yeah like. and then like they're, they're sort of like uh, yeah uh, we, we don't like each other but you know you, you're not that bad and then like it ends up with uh, Deadpool going back to the hitman who sent him out and he's just like um, sorry dude you got out bed and then falls out of the chimney wearing Santa garb in his costume and shooting, shooting his guns, blam, blam, blam. And it's called Merry Freaking Christmas. And it's written by Fred Van Lente, uh, Sanford Green and Nathan Massangill did the art. Uh, the colours are done by John Rausch and letters are done by Jeff Eckleberry. But it, there's literally no, there's no message here. And I know it's edgy because it's like Deadpool and stuff, but uh, like, what the hell? <laughs> but like, the thing that is actually good about it, but the the action for the two pages, well, I guess the couple pages on, is like it has that super clean, like like re- recent look, but not like flat. So like Santa's rendered pretty well. Uh, the shading, the colors, even the um, like panel layout and um, the uh, framing uh, is all done with the, There's like a panache and energy. The onomatopoeia. Uh, and uh, like character sounds are all like dynamic, but it's like so silly. It's like, and there's barely any Deadpool addressing us, to be honest. Mm. I think it's because Santa's there, and that's the ultimate like uh, break oh, the fourth wall. <laughs> but it it was such a weird book because it was only a few pages. I thought, oh, let me check it out, and I was like, what? These guys need to experience this silliness <laughs> because it, it's like I don't know what it is. Like I've I've read it, but have I really read it? <laughs> and, and, and that—that is my thing. That—that is my thing. It's not terrible though. It's not terrible. It looks cool, no. but nothing happened. It looks good. It, it has that that classic clean finish to it, and everything else. Like you said, that that classic recent-ish comics finish is like the last. I mean, it, it's of its age because it's eleven years old, and it's it's of that time. It has like the style of the 2009 2010 comics yeah. and whatever, and it even has the writing style of the 2009 2010 comics. Where it, it, it's, I mean, it's good, but it's, it, it, and it has, but you, like you said, it's just, it's just like, it's empty. It's classic Deadpool action, 
and it's fun to read and it's it's funny but the only thing christmas about it is the fact that it's happening in santa's grotto I mean, what that's they fairly Christmassy. Done, that's fairly yeah, Christmassy. that's fairly Christmassy. But what they what they should have done is they should have done like, what if Die Hard but Deadpool, and they should <laughs> yeah, have man, done we... it over like four issues, and instead of Hans Gruber, you could have had like I don't know, um, who would be good for Deadpool to face off against? Who's you like you got to remember they had eight pages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'm, I'm saying they should have expanded it and they should have done a comic adaptation of Die Hard but nope. with Deadpool thinking that he's John McClane because nope, he's nope. a bit screwed not only that but um, what, you, what you're describing Greg <laughs> is the South Park episode where Ninja Jesus breaks into a Taliban stronghold to rescue <laughs> <Denver>. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. Um, Which so, is around the same time as well. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It's it's good. Um, I I really I really did enjoy the story. It was the best one of the anthology as well because the other ones was the um, there was the the Fantastic Four Hanukkah one, um, and then there was like the other one in the anthology that was the um, the uh, the Divas. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And this is of the three, this was definitely the best one and had the best artwork and everything else. First of all, why does Santa have a computer? Because <laughs> Santa has magic and he shouldn't need a computer. So that tells me that's not the real Santa. What are you so... talking about? Like he, he, he updated with the times. Yeah, but like, you Luddite. Magic transcends computer. Magic is better than magic <laughs> is more powerful than science. It says in the beginning of the visionaries, if you've ever watched the visionaries as a kid. What, so... what happens if you, for, if you forget some of the magic? Gone. But if you've got a server, it's backed up. I yeah, tell I you, you don't you don't speak for all of us. I, I tell you what, Greg, if you can get past the fact that it stars Mel Gibson and all the problematic shit that comes with Mel Gibson, you should check out the movie Fat Man because you would have a hell of a time <laughs> watching a movie with a contemporary Santa who kicks ass and uses guns. All right. Well, uh, you see, like the 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 almost contemporary Santa film that I have watched that is really good is the Christmas Chronicles on Netflix. Mm. I watched that last year, and Dion, I came in halfway through her watching the Christmas Chronicles too, and um, I was blown away to find out that it stars the kid from uh, the Hunt from the for the Wilder People and uh, Deadpool too. So yeah. great times all around. Great times. Those all around. those are good Christmas films. Really, really good are. Christmas films. Yeah. Kurt Russell and, and is Kurt, doing Kurt, a hell of a fucking job. He is <laughs> Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is my Santa. Yeah, I love the fact that um, uh, Mrs. Claus is his actual wife, is uh, Meg Ryan. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. it's brilliant. It's a stroke of genius. But yeah, so I mean, like, I love this and I love the the classic Deadpool action of it. And I like that it's, you know, like it somehow Deadpool always makes the list like that's that's an error. There's no way Deadpool makes the good list every year. Is there? Well, he kills a hell of a lot of people, but he always manages to kind of do the right thing, I guess. Yeah, but he's doing it for his own pocket. He's just doing it for the cash money. He's not doing it for any, like, you know, good. altruistic reason. He's not killing people because... <laughs> and he's not necessarily always on the right side of history, is he, Deadpool? Mm. <laughs> so, go figure. Um but yeah, those those are my only problems with it. Santa has a computer, and which I don't think he would. I, I think the list would be like it's a magic thing, and uh, Deadpool somehow makes the good list every year, and then he gets his his. Uh... Oh, uh, 
Deadpool's Pez dispensers. I want those Pez dispensers. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the problem is here, though? What? Is that this opens up the, the big flaw in Santa, being the one who creates lists and, and about nice and naughty. He's like, who, <laughs> who made him the person who decides? Like, who watches The Watchmen? Well, what did I say earlier in this episode? What if Santa is God? What if the naughty list isn't just the naughty list, it's that you're going to hell list? <laughs> you see where I'm coming from with this? Uh, I do, and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> also, by the way, it's uh, Goldie Horn in that movie. Thank you, thank you. That's why I did say wait a second, because I was like... I. I knew Meg Ryan was wrong, but I couldn't think of the right name and the conversation moved on. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> and I didn't notice that at all because I'm terrible with actors and actresses. So go figure. <laughs> um, Rahul, um, what do you make of this one then? So 2020 has been a hard year and I didn't, I didn't want to end it by having to think too hard. So I like this book. <laughs> like I like that it was so slight. I like that I just got to look at the pretty pictures and all the clean line art and all the cool dynamic you know, action and enjoy it. Like, Deadpool, fight Santa, Yeti, they become friends. Cool. Uh, Fantastic Four, Reed Richards is ignorant about Judaism, even though his best friend is Jewish. Cool. Um, the Divas pretend to go shopping, then they burn a tree. Merry Christmas. This is great. This is exactly what I want from a, a mindless Christmas book. I, I'm here for it. It's, it's great. It's cool. It's, it's not just Reed that's, that's uh, ignorant about Judaism. Like, all of them are. I mean, they all are. Yeah. Yeah. They <laughs> I don't know how to spell the word synagogue. Like the world's, the, isn't he meant to be like the smartest man on earth or whatever? I'm, I don't want to think yeah. about it too much. I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> I came into this not wanting to. It's it's fine. Let them let them have their thing. Yeah, but you can't help but think after reading that, can you? That's the problem. <laughs> I, I don't like that story because it has an original Jack Kirby in it, and I don't like that. Yeah. See, uh, <laughs> I literally have made a note because um, when you were talking about the Deadpool story, I was like, oh no, I read the whole anthology where we went to concentrate solely on Deadpool. But like my thing with the Fantastic Four one was like Ben Grimm was breaking the fourth wall, fourth wall way harder than Deadpool in this book. And I'm like, <laughs> this is freaking me out. <laughs> when he said like, just because the Marvel writers make me talk like a dope. Exactly. And they're like, what is he mm -hmm. talking about? It's like, <laughs> no, Ben Grimm doesn't break the fourth wall. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben Grimm is quite literally our rock. <laughs> like he yeah. reality. <laughs> not even, not even in a Christmas special will I allow that. Yeah, <laughs> this this violates the thing I was speaking about earlier, where it's like, like you have fun with you, you you embrace the Christmasness of it. You you have a wink and a nod. You don't take yourself too seriously, and you just go like you go as silly as possible. But don't be breaking the universe. Don't be breaking yeah, don't be doing that. Even Deadpool, you're not. Yeah. So yes, that was the Marvel Digital Holiday Special number two. Um, the specific story that we um, were talking about was Merry Freaking Christmas, which was the Deadpool story at the beginning of the book, um, and um, the uh, the Hanukkah story with Thing was Rock of Ages. Um, Leon, what was the third one called? That third one was called. The third one was called Holiday Heat. And would you like credits for both of those stories that we barely spoke about? Yeah, um, okay. I've got them ready. So yeah, if you wanna, if you wanna just roll through the credits then. So Rock of, Rock of Ages was uh, written by Stan Lee. Uh, art was done by uh, Nick Dragota. Lettering done by Dave Sharp. And uh, the Holiday Heat one. 
was okay that was written by abby denson artist sarah picelli uh colorist emily warren and the letters were done by Kristen ferretti so out of five then for the final comic stars out of five i'm gonna go straight in and i'm gonna give this a two Damn. <laughs> I'm going to give it a two because of the original Jack Kirby. And there's no way that Johnny Storm would have been able to afford one of those for a start. Hold up. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the, um, well, actually, I don't know because they're supposed to be really rich, aren't they? That's yes, they live. Have yeah. you seen where they live? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe he, could maybe he can afford an original Jack Kirby then. I don't know. Um, but I, I just, I, I think I resent the fact that he got an original Jack Kirby and gave it to the thing as a gift and I didn't get one. So, uh, man, I, I don't like how biased your review scores are, man. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, it's, it's hit by cosmic rays. You could afford a Jack Kirby. Exactly. Yeah, it's the job, the job, it's, it's an objective job reviewing comics. It's like, it's, it's my opinion. And my opinion is this. And the factors that influence my opinion are the fact that Deadpool, it, it when Deadpool fights Santa. Santa has a computer, <laughs> and <laughs> still going on about it. <laughs> <laughs> and Deadpool makes the nice list every year, which I find very hard to believe. So <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm going to give this a, a I don't want to be too hard on it, but yeah, I'll give it a two and a half. Two and a half. Two point five out of five. Marv, where are you? Um, before I give my score, I'm just going to give a, a quick roundup of my reasoning. Um, everything that Leon said um, about the uh, the artwork, the uh, as you said, like the progression of, of comics as a medium between the, the timelines of what we've actually read through and everything. And the fact that um, I read the anthology as well. So I'm, I am colored by the Fantastic Four story. I am going to give this anthology a five. Because Whoa. I feel, I feel like I mean the Deadpool story alone, really cool, funny Christmas story. I love it. You've got Santa six one six in there, and that's what I was looking for when I first started looking for comics to read. <laughs> the fact that he drops the line like "I should have killed you in Morocco," and he's like "should have, but didn't." I love that stuff. Instant backstory, like it's a, it's basically a three page story. <laughs> it, it took me on a journey. Also, the writing for um, the writing for Deadpool's interior monologue while they're fighting. Um, I, it might be because we've we've delved into this world literally the last episode, but it reminded me so much of the writing in the like Nightfall era of Batman. Because well, like, it was the it's... night before Christmas, wasn't it? It was <laughs> yes. rhyming and yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's the it's the. There's one line that literally took me straight back to that peak era of Batman, and it's um when. Santa goes after Deadpool with the uh, it, it looks like a, a, a Christmas decoration with spikes on a piece of tinsel and Deadpool says he moves with the speed of a man who visits 300 million households <laughs> and I was taken straight back to uh, and this is a deep cut and a spoiler for Rahul as is the, the norm but um, Greg you remember the, there's a fight that happens in Night's End? Yes. When Lady Shiva starts sending people after Bruce as part of his training and yeah. he fights this big guy and his little minion on a packed highway and he's got like a flail like a morning yeah. star on a, on a chain 
and yeah. uh, he has to keep working inside the arc and stuff and like trying to get out of this guy's grasp because he could literally just break him in half if he gets his hands on him yeah it made it made me think of how bruce is written in that fight it was that specific a piece of comic book writing that it took me places putting that aside ben grimm educating his fellow teammates on um, his own religion during Christmas time and like how he celebrates and everything. I thought that was a really well done Christmas story, putting aside the fact that like they are a bit douchey for not having <laughs> looked at anything for years to do with that. <laughs> it was nice that that story brought that to the forefront. Cause like yeah. it had been ages since I'd thought of the fact of uh, Ben Grimm being Jewish. So like this story being part of a like a, a Christmas or you know a greater sort of winter holiday anthology really touched me. So I think it was um, that inclusion that sort of tipped me from four to five on this. Mm. So that's where I am. Yeah, like the Ben Grimm, Ben Grimm being Jewish. It's not it's not the kind of thing that you ever think about or notice until they they use it in the mm. stories. Like um, in the recent uh, Fantastic Four run, they did his wedding. Hmm uh to um his uh is it is is alicia isn't it yeah yeah he's he's married to alicia now um and that was a really nice issue the wedding hmm. that was a really nice little storyline there um but like um yeah it, it and you know what like I, I feel harsh giving it a 2.5 now. You've just said all those things and gave it a 5. Because <laughs> well, I actually agree with you, Mark, but you, I'm you not going to change my score. And the reason I'm not going to change my score is because I stand by <laughs> <laughs> the fact <laughs> that Santa shouldn't have a computer. I don't know why that irked me so much. You don't have to worry about it. You're off that list now anyway. <laughs> <laughs> He's always listening. He's just he's got he's got the uh, he's got the Excel sheet open and he's moving my name over to the red section. You gotta remember, Greg, he sees you when you're scoring, he knows when you give twos. <laughs> <laughs> uh Ray, what about you? Where are you on this? Yeah, it's a two. <laughs> it's it's so slight and it's pointless and I didn't want anything else from it. It's it's fine. I liked it, but it's a two. <laughs> okay, so uh Leon. Okay, so I don't know how you want to do this. But like the Deadpool story, I'm giving a three mm -hmm. uh, for all the reasons I described. Um, but for the whole thing, I'd bump up to a four. Okay, well, I'll take the higher of the two scores and I'll give it a four. So that gives it a 13 and a half out of 20, which means it beats the Sonic the Comic. Um, but the winner this year is the Michelangelo, the Michelangelo uh, one-shot, Michelangelo Christmas one-shot from December 1985. Um, I, I feel that that is deserved because it was the one that was the most sort of like cohesive and Christmassy and actually had the, the spirit of Christmas kind of like running through it. Like of all the Christmas stories, that was the one that was the most Christmas, I feel. Um, I don't know if you guys feel that way or what, but... No, that's I just that. <laughs> yeah, yep. Um, so, I mean, you can check out all of these books. They're all available in various places. Um, most of them are available digitally. Uh, the only one you're going to have a real hard time tracking down probably is Sonic the Comic 93. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that, yeah, if you, if you, if you try, you, you can track it down. There are ways to find these things. Yeah, just, um, just send Rahul the Pirate a DM and he'll hook you up. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yar. 
<laughs> but yeah, like the other books, um, you would, uh, yeah, you can track them down pretty easily, like available on Comixology and other places. So go look them up, go check them out, go track them down. Um, and that wraps us up for the Ace Comicals Christmas episode. So um, that has been Ace Comicals Christmas Readings. Uh, you can find us in all the usual places. So that is www.acecomicals.com, where it's like kind of the hub for everything we do. Uh, you can listen to us on any kind of podcast platform anywhere. Um, like literally we're available everywhere. Um, you can find us on Twitter under at East Comicals where you can DM us, uh, talk to us, get involved in the conversation, correct us where we make mistakes, <laughs> anything you want to do. Um, and um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. You can send us emails at uh, acecomicals at gmail.com. Um, so if, I mean, like if you've made something and, uh, you want us to shout it out, if you, um, want to, if you, if you, if you, if there's something you feel you want us to talk about, let us know and, uh, we can bring it up on the show. Um, Ray, where can we find you? On Twitter at Monkey, that's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And I just want to say, I hope everyone has a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And Marv, where can we find you? Um, on Twitter at Marvin Lafayette and on Instagram Marv Lafayette eighty four and to echo Rahul a very Merry Christmas a Happy New Year and a Happy Holidays to anyone who celebrates differently. And Leon, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Leon Everett. Uh, yep, to echo all these guys, Happy Holidays, uh, whichever you celebrate, uh, have a good time. Obviously, times are a bit rough right now, so <laughs> if. if... <laughs> Don't necessarily spend time with your family if it's going to infect them. But uh, I hope everybody uh, is in a good place to give this year the middle finger. It doesn't. <laughs> yes, uh, I can safely say we're all going to be absolutely plastered on New Year's Eve. Um, <laughs> but uh, So, um, yeah, I hope everybody has a wonderful Christmas. I hope that everybody has a safe Christmas. Um, However you're celebrating and whatever you're celebrating, whatever holiday you choose to celebrate at this time of year, I hope you have a absolutely wonderful time. Uh, and if it is safe to celebrate with friends and family, I hope you can. Um, for those of you that have a tough time at Christmas uh, or, or this time of year anyway, because I know it's not the easiest time of year for everyone. Um, so those of you who may struggle at this time of year and things like that, reach out and, and, you know, talk to somebody, just get help and, and just try and be like in a safe space. And, uh, yeah, so that is Ace Comicals Christmas special 2020. That's Ace Comicals over and out.